Thank you so much for joining us today. We're always encouraged to know God is working through new beginnings to touch lives. So if you have a story to share of how God's working in your life, please let us know. Send us an email at mystory@newbeginningsnj.org. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. We're in uh, the series that I started four weeks ago, entitled Inheritance. And this has been, this has been a real eye-opener. This has been good stuff. Uh, if you haven't been here, I encourage you to please go and uh, listen to, I guess you can watch online, the uh, part one, part two, part three of this series. I started out with a verse of scripture in the book of Acts. Again, as I've been saying, I believe this is probably one of the most important verses of scripture in that book, in the book of Acts, and it's located in Acts chapter 20, verse 32. The Apostle Paul is saying goodbye, saying farewell to the pastors and ministers of the churches that he founded in the area that we would call today modern-day Turkey. And he believes this is the last time he's going to see them, although we find out through history that it was not. But at that time, he believes he's not going to see them anymore. And so, obviously, if, when you believe this is the last time you're going to see some loved ones and people that you care about, you want to impart something special that they're going to remember you by. And so, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he, he bestows a blessing upon them. And again, if you could write this down, Acts chapter 20, verse 32, because I think it's something we need to hold on to. There's so much in this scripture here. It's so rich. So now, brethren... I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who were sanctified. And I spent a lot of time breaking this verse down in the first couple of weeks. We're going to focus in on that last part of this verse as it refers to inheritance. And inheritance is what you rightfully receive, what is legally yours, for being part of a family or being designated within the legal writings, a legal language of an individual who wants to leave you what is precious to them. Romans chapter 8, verse 15, it states this, the spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you receive brought you about your adoption to sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, or Daddy, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Of course, inheritance has everything to do with being children, being heirs, as it says here. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs. In other words, we, are, we have legal right to expect to receive something because we are part of this family, the family of God. So it says here that now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ. I mean, is there a better position to be in? To be an heir of God is good, but to be co-heirs with Christ together heirs with God is even better. If indeed we share with his, in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. Now that word Abba, I explained last week, is an Aramaic word. Aramaic is, is, a, is a Middle Eastern language. It's spoken even till today in parts of Syria, uh, in parts of Iraq, uh, in Jordan. And that was the common language that Jesus would have spoken here on the earth during his time. So it's a combination of Hebrew plus some other Middle Eastern uh, dialects, and the word Abba is more of a term of endearment. Like you would say, we would call somebody daddy, okay? And so the Greek word that's used for adoption in that verse of scripture there in Romans chapter 8 
<coughs> is a term referring to the full legal sta- status of an adopted mare, a male in, in Roman culture. Now, the Roman culture was very strong on this idea of adoption. And uh, not to go into a lot of detail, but uh, when a person was adopted under Roman culture, under Roman law, there was no differentiation between whether that person was actually a blood member of the family or if it was just someone that was, had been a stranger at one time and is brought into this relationship now of being adopted. In other words, it's done. It's a done deal. It's, a, it, it's just as good as, as if the child was born biologically to that, to that individual. The fact that we're called heirs reinforces the truth that we have an inheritance that's stored up for us. How did we get this? And this is all review here I'm doing. How do we get this? It's included in our salvation. In all reality, every one of us who have declared our faith in Jesus uh, would be perfectly happy if we just not, not to go to hell. I don't know about you. I'd be perfectly happy just not to go to hell. How about you? Okay. But God in his love, and because, you know, if you know the nature of God, you'll understand that God never does just the basics. God always, his nature won't even allow him to do that. God's nature is that he does exceedingly, abundantly, above anything we could ever ask or think, okay? So that's where this inheritance comes from. This idea of not only am I saving you from an eternity separated from me, God says, but while you're here on this earth, I'm going to bless you in such a way that it's going to cause other people to be provoked to jealousy, to want to know what you have, to want to know how is your life so blessed? What, how is it that you walk in blessing greater than others? And that's one of the reasons for the inheritance. Uh, this emphasizes our relationship with the Father, being an heir. First Peter chapter 1, verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy, here it is, abundant mercy, not just, just mercy, abundant mercy, has begotten us again, in other words, has given birth to us again, to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, verse 4, to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, that does not fade away. Those promises are there. They're just as good today as the day that God spoke them first. Reserved in heaven for you. Now, because they're reserved in heaven does not mean that you don't have access to them. I talked about this last week. You don't carry all your money around with you, do you? Well, I remember a time when we did. Because that's all there was. But what I'm saying is you don't, you don't carry all your wealth with you. You don't carry everything, all your worth, all your assets. You don't carry them with you. What, where do you have them? You keep them in a bank. You keep them in a bank. Uh, you keep them under your mattress. You keep them uh, in a place where, what is it? They're what? Reserved. They're, they're put aside for you. They're kept safe. That does not mean that you don't have access to them. And by faith, you and I have access to the inheritance, to the assets that we have set aside for us by God in heaven. Amen? Amen. You remember that scripture in Philippians? And we quote this all the time. I've seen people have it written on their checks. And my God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches. Where? Where are they? In glory. What is it? It's exactly what Peter's talking about here. They're on reserve. They're kept for you. So, last week we covered this also. Every will, every insurance policy must have a beneficiary. A beneficiary is a person who is the object or the recipient of a kind act. We are his beneficiaries. You and I have profited 
from Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. You and I have profited from everything that God has reserved for us in heaven, the things that are ours. Now, you can believe this if you want. If not, you can just throw it aside. It doesn't really matter. I have heard on at least two to three different occasions of individuals who were allowed to visit heaven. And two of these individuals, I don't know for sure. I'm not sure about the third one. Two of these individuals said that they were taken by angels to warehouses. And in those warehouses were limbs and organs and, and eyes and things of this nature. And it's, what is this all about? These are the things that are on reserve for our people who will believe for miracles, who will believe for divine healing, who will believe for creative miracles. Do what you want with it. I'm just throwing it out there. Galatians chapter 3, verse 29. If you belong to Christ, and honestly, that really is not a good translation. It should really say since. Since. Be careful with that little word. People have gotten tripped up in the epistles in the New Testament. Because you see, if seems to introduce a little bit of question or doubt. And really, if we really translated it from the original language, it should say since. How many knows the big difference between since and if? Okay? So let's read it that let's read it the way it should be. Since you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Okay? Now, we might not be natural-born Jews. We might not be able to trace our lineage back, blood-wise. But spiritually, we are children of Abraham. We are descendants of Abraham. Why is that, why is that important? Because Abraham is known as the father of faith. Uh, are you listening? I mean, can you think of anybody else in the scriptures besides Jesus that operated in faith as much as Abraham did? God calls him to leave a place and... and Historians and archaeologists tell us that Abraham was very wealthy before he left the land that's called in the Bible Ur of the Chaldees, which is Ur of the Chaldees today. If you wanted to go visit, you could still visit. You know, it's there. It's Kuwait, modern-day Kuwait. You know where Kuwait is? You remember that, that Gulf War that we had back in the 90s in southern Iraq? The area there was very wealthy and very, very rich, very rich oil uh, country. Well, Kuwait is Ur of the Chaldees. That's where Abraham came from. He moved from there and settled and came further north and then from north uh, Turkey and Iraq and Turkey and then came over into what we call today the promised land, the land of Canaan. So, so here's a man who was very wealthy. He was already wealthy. You know, that was the thing. See, when you read in Genesis chapter 12 where God says, I'm going to make you wealthy, it's like, my God. That's like talking to Donald Trump and say, Donald Trump, you know what? I'm going to make you wealthy. He's already wealthy. But now watch this. With Abraham... When Abraham was wealthy, and let me, let me call him by his name then, Abram. At that point, he's known as Abram, okay? Abram was already a very wealthy businessman, a very wealthy trader, okay? When God said, I'm going to make you wealthy, what God was saying to him is, not only am I going to bless you materially, even more than you've been blessed, but I'm going to bless you spiritually now. And that you are going to be the father of many nations. And out of your lineage, out of your descendants is going to come the one that I promised to Eve back in the garden. Amen? Amen? Amen. You see, that'll answer the questions that people have said. I, I know, had discussions with people, especially when it comes to talking about the Jewish people. Why is it that they've always been persecuted? For that reason. The enemy hates the Jews because he knows from the Jews came Jesus. You remember he tried to kill them all in Egypt, right? Pharaoh gives the order, dump all these boys in, in the river. 
kill them all. Why? Because he hated the kids? I had nothing to do with the kids. He didn't know he was being used by the enemy because if he could have wiped them out then, he wouldn't have to deal with them later. And then Jesus is born. You know the story. King Herod gives the order to kill all the male children in, in Bethlehem and the regions around Bethlehem from two years and younger. What is that all about? The enemy. The influence of the enemy try to wipe out. And even to this day, when you hear these voices of nations around Israel say, we're going to wipe them off the face of the earth, you want to laugh in their face. You want to laugh at them to say, what you, what you are saying about them is going to come back on you. Because God said, I'll bless them that bless you. And I will curse him who curses you. Amen. And so that, we're, we're in on that promise. You know, that promise extends down. When God said to Abraham, I will bless those who bless you and I will curse him who curses you. Jesus comes on the scene thousands of years later and extends it to the church. Do you remember when Jesus said to Peter, upon this rock, the rock of revelation of who Jesus was, upon that revelation knowledge, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Isn't that the same? Doesn't that mean the same thing as God saying to Abraham, I'm going to bless those who bless you, I'm going to curse him who curses you? We're in that promise. We're heirs according to the promise. We're spiritual children of Abraham. Are you catching this? I would pay attention to this if I was you. Because Abraham <laughs> is an extremely blessed man. His descendants are all over the world. His descendants prosper, no matter what they do, no matter what they put their hands to. They prosper. You want to get in on that. You don't want to ever find yourself on the opposite side of that thing, of that promise. Amen? Don't get jealous of people because you see them prospering. I'm talking to somebody tonight. We need to get in on that promise. We need to, we need to identify ourselves with Abraham. All right, I'll move on. Now, we inherited these promises of God by placing our faith in Jesus who came and fulfilled the requirements of the law. I want you to listen very, very closely. Okay? Jesus came and fulfilled. He fulfilled them. They're done. He completed them. It doesn't mean that they're done away with. He fulfilled them. It doesn't mean that they weren't good and they didn't serve a purpose. They served a purpose. They served a purpose to show us that we can't fulfill those things on our own. And that you and I need a savior. We need somebody who's going to step in on our behalf and say, you can't do this. Let me do this for you. You're going to benefit from it. Remember, we're the beneficiaries. Amen. Are you out there? Yes. We're the beneficiaries. Amen. Okay? But now watch this. If I have a $10 million insurance policy, life insurance policy, and I've designated my children to be the beneficiaries. I paid all the premiums. Who's going to get the benefit? Did they put anything in it? Did they do anything to earn it? But somebody's got to fulfill it, right? Somebody has to pay that premium. Or that, that policy's worthless. Yes or no? I'm not trying to trap you here. I'm trying to present something to... You're like, I don't know what to answer. You might. <laughs> Every will has stipulations and conditions to be met and to be fulfilled. 
An insurance policy has premiums to pay. A will has stipulations and conditions. Now, in that context, I want you to listen to a verse of scripture that I touched on last week. Didn't spend a lot of time, but I want to get into it a little more today. Deuteronomy chapter 28. I want to tell you this. I cut my teeth on Christianity on Deuteronomy 28. When I got born again, 1984, it seemed like the entire church world was on a, a Deuteronomy 28 binge. That's all you heard about. That's all they talked about. No matter what church you went to, if you put TV on, Deuteronomy 28. If you went to a seminar someplace, Deuteronomy 28. Why? Because it's so rich in blessing. Listen to this. Now, this is a great example of stipulations and conditions of inheritance. Verse 1, now God is speaking to the nation of Israel through Moses. And here's what God is saying to them. Now it shall come to pass. Isn't it wonderful when stuff comes to pass? Don't you like when stuff comes to pass? Okay. Now it shall come to pass. In other words, it's going to come into manifestation. And here's the part that gets us in trouble. If you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God to observe carefully all his commandments, which I command you today, that the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. And all these blessings shall what? Come upon you and overtake you. Now, I want to read that again. And when I read it, I want you to picture that time when you went to the beach and you're standing down by where the waves crash and you made the mistake of turning around and put your back to the waves. You know what I'm talking about? And all of a sudden, here comes that, that swell and that's the picture. And all these blessings shall, what? Come upon you and overtake you because you obey the voice of the Lord your God. Now, this is a wonderful promise, but it concerns me because I don't always listen to diligently and obey the voice of the Lord. I'm not like you. You guys are all, you, you guys nail it 100% of the times. You, you see where I'm going with this? Now, see, back then, we were teaching it as if we had to do it. And so, if you sneezed in church, nobody would say, God bless you, because obviously you didn't obey the voice of the Lord. Why? Because sickness is coming on you. You think I'm kidding? If God forbid something went wrong, if you lost your job, oh, what kind of sin do they have in their lives? I, I, am I kidding? I'm 100% serious. He was there during those days. So now watch this now, because it, it ends good. To turn to somebody and say, it ends good. So let's go through this, okay? Now, I would advise you, read. Let me tell you something. If you want to have an appreciation for what Jesus did for you on the cross, read Deuteronomy 28. Now, the first 14 verses are good news. And maybe someday I'll do a series just on Deuteronomy 28. But from verse 15 down to the end, which is like 60-something, it's all. But if you don't listen, and if you don't obey, then these curses 
shall come upon you and overtake you. And it lists everything from a headache to hemorrhoids. <laughs> and I am not kidding. I am not joking. It's in there. So if somebody back then came to church with one of those pillows and put it on a chair, guess what? Everybody went, sin in their life. Let's get into this, okay? Let's, let's talk about the blessings. It, it, it ends good. Blessed shall you be in the city and blessed shall you be in the country. Blessed shall, you, shall be the fruit of your body, the produce of your ground, the increase of your herds, the increase of your cattle and offspring of flocks. Blessed shall be your basket, your kneading bowl. Blessed shall you be when you come in. Blessed shall you be when you go out. The Lord will cause your enemies who rise up against you to be defeated before your face. They shall come out against you one way, and they shall flee before you seven ways. The Lord will command the blessing upon you in your storehouses and all at which you have set your hand. He will bless you in the land which the Lord your God has given you. The Lord will establish you as his holy people to himself. Jesse has sworn to you if you keep, here it is, if you keep the commandments of the Lord your God and walk in his ways. Then all the peoples of the earth shall see that you are called by the name of the Lord and they shall be afraid of you. And the Lord will grant you plenty of goods and the fruit of your body. And the, let me back up here for a second. Go, go back to verse 10. Then all the peoples of the earth shall see that you are called by the name of the Lord, and they shall be afraid of you. Then that might strike you strange. And say, well, why would God do that? Why would, why would he make people afraid of us? Well, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you when that was fulfilled. Do you remember when they got to the Jordan after Moses died? Moses is off the scene. Joshua comes in. He's got to bring them into, into the promised land. And they cross the Jordan River, and they come up to what city? Jericho. And in Jericho, what happens? It says Jericho, and archaeologists to this day confirm this, the walls of Jericho were so wide and so thick, there were actually houses built into it, and they were so wide that it, said, it was said that you could drive two chariots next to each other around the top of the, of the wall. That's formidable. But you, remember, you may remember that, that, that Joshua sent spies into the city. And he was smart. He only sent two this time. Moses sent 12, and they, and, and, and they made a mess when they came back. So he sends two spies in, and they encounter a woman. Does anybody remember her name? Rahab. It says she's a harlot. Okay, well, I don't know about that. Uh, she, she's a woman who lives on the wall. Her house is in the wall with her family. And she hides those spies. And she says something very interesting to them that is a fulfillment of the scripture. He said, she said, the whole city here is afraid of you because we heard, watch this now, watch this now, we heard what your God did when you crossed and you came out of Egypt. What happened when they came out of Egypt? The Red Sea parted. Uh, did that happen like the week before they got to Jericho? Did that happen the year before they got to Jericho? That happened what? 40 years for 40 years, the people in this town have been talking about what God did. And so when the armies of Israel, when the people of Israel showed up on the scene, that verse was fulfilled completely. And they shall be afraid of you. Where am I? 
And the Lord will grant you plenty of goods and the fruit of your body and the increase of your livestock and the produce of your ground and the land which the Lord swore to your fathers to give you. The Lord will open up to you his good treasure, the heavens to give rain to your land in its season. Now, we're not crazy about rain now because we've developed all kinds of technology. But when you live in an agricultural society and you live in the Middle East, no rain means you have famine. So promise of rain is a good thing. And to bless all the work of your hand. You shall lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow. These are phenomenal blessings. And the Lord will make you the head and not the tail. You shall be above only and not beneath. If you heed the commandments, you see, keep he keeps throwing those stipulations in. It's like, come on, these are good promises. And he keeps throwing those conditions in. If you heed the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today, and are careful to observe them, so you shall not turn aside from any of the words which I command you this day to the right or the left to go after other gods to serve them. Now, there's another time when the people of Israel are presented with these same type of blessings but commands. It's when they get to Mount Sinai. And the law is read to the people. And you've got to get the background of this. The mountain is on fire. Lightning. Trumpet blasts, and nobody's got trumpets. Scary. And the law is read. And they should have did then what they should have did now. That when this, all these promises of blessings were read to them, Pay attention to me. This is, this is important. What the people should have did here when they got to what we call verse 14 is every one of the Israelites should have threw themselves on the ground and said, we can't do this. And then God would have said, you're right, but I will send one who can. And through him, you will receive all these blessings. When they got to Mount Sinai, they were so scared to death because they were told, don't even come near the mountain. Don't even touch it. And they said, even if a beast would come near the mountain, kill it with a spear. It was an extremely holy time and a holy place. And they made a mistake. When all the law was read, you know what their response was? We'll do this. And they couldn't. I was thinking about this today as I was thinking about this message. I'm driving home and I'm thinking about this and I'm meditating on this whole thing. I'm, I put myself in this scene. I'm not telling you this is thus saith the Lord. It probably is not. But what I'm saying is this. Is it possible that if they would have been honest with God and not respond out of pride and when, when, when the law was read to them, you shall not, you shall not, you shall not, you shall not. If they would have threw themselves down and said, we can't fulfill this, is it possible that God would have sent Jesus right on the scene right then and there and said, but he can. But he can. Now put your faith in him and you get all these blessings. Because eventually that's exactly what happened. You remember when Jesus is on the cross? Just before his spirit leaves his body, he says, it is 
finished. But that's not 100% translation. What he said is recorded for us in Greek as an accounting term. It is paid for. It is fulfilled. The contract has been fulfilled. The covenant has been confirmed. What does it mean? The will and all its stipulations have been fulfilled. Now the inheritance can go forth. Good stuff. These conditions are impossible for us to fulfill, and that's why God had to send his son to fulfill every detail of the law so that we could become the beneficiaries of the covenant. When on the cross, when he said, it's done, it's paid for. It's literally like saying, you paid, the, I, I paid, what Jesus really saying is this, I paid the last premium, the insurance policy is completely fulfilled now. Now, in order for that insurance policy to become in force, for, in order for us to access the benefits of that insurance policy as beneficiaries, what has to happen? The person has to die. But look at how wonderful this Savior is. And look at how he pulled this trick on the devil. He dies. Hallelujah. The covenant now is in force. And then it's almost like, it's, I got to go back and make sure that this thing is handled right. But now watch this now. If you've ever been called to go and sit in an office for the last will and testament to be read, who is the person that contacts you? A lawyer. An attorney. An Advocate? <laughs> so Jesus has to die so that the insurance policy can get cashed in. But then he says, but I'm going to send you another one just like me, the spirit of truth. And what's, it, what's his position? He's going to come now and make sure that the beneficiaries receive all of the benefits of the last will and testament of Jesus Christ, Messiah. I, that is good news. And guess what? Guess what? You didn't have to pay a retainer. <laughs> you got him with you every single time. You don't have to call him 16 times so you get a secretary on the phone and say, listen, I got to talk to this guy. Where is he? Behold, I am with you always even unto the end of this age. And then it's like, and if, if that's not good enough, call on me and I will show you great things that you know not. Do you see how this all works? Do you see how wonderful this whole inheritance thing is? He's making sure that you're walking in the benefits of that, of that covenant. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 15. And that is why he is the one who mediates a new covenant between God and people so that all who are called can receive the internal inheritance God has promised them. For Christ died to set them free from the penalty of the sins they had committed under the first covenant. Now when someone leaves a will, it is necessary to prove that the person who made it is dead. The will goes into effect. Oh, I just thought of something. Oh my God. The will goes into effect only after the person's death. While the person who made it is still alive, they, the will cannot be put into effect. 
Do you know that one of, what was the very first lie? What was the very first lie that was spread after the resurrection? He wasn't, no. He wasn't really dead. To this day, there are people that will use, try to use that argument. He wasn't really dead. In fact, Islam teaches that Jesus really didn't die, that he did survive the cross, and that he did live again. There was no resurrection. You see, the enemy is always after that aspect of, 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 of Jesus' mission on the earth. He really didn't die. You'd have to prove that he was dead. And they spread that lie. And they paid the Romans to spread that lie. You catching this? The will goes into effect only after the person's death. While the person who made it is still alive, the will cannot be put into effect. And through his death on the cross, Jesus put into effect the terms of the New Testament. His will for us. Then he rose from the dead to make sure that we would receive all that he died for. He's not only the writer of the will, he's the executor. The person in charge <laughs> of making sure the terms are fulfilled. Ephesians 2.13 says, In Christ, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. God took us poor orphans in this world and made us a part of his family through faith in Jesus Christ. He has showered us with his blessings, promised us an eternal inheritance based not on our worth, not based on whether we can diligently listen to the voice and obey the voice of the Lord, but that he diligently listened to and obeyed the voice of the Lord. You better thank God. Jesus had to die for us to receive what was in his will. We receive all that God has for us, not because of our goodness or holiness, but because Jesus' goodness and holiness. So, so what exactly did we inherit? I got nine minutes to wrap this up. You guys are going to have to listen fast. What exactly did we inherit? We inherited salvation, all its benefits the abiding presence of the Holy Spirit, the promise of divine healing, the promise of unlimited provision. That's all we inherited. But we've inherited more. Jesus said, but you shall receive power. Power. When, when the lawyer shows up. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you shall receive power when the attorney shows up. When the will is read, we've received power. This is, the, this is the inheritance that is least talked about. You received power. Power for what? Power to forgive. You remember, do you remember the very first thing he commanded the disciples to do on the night of the resurrection? He commanded them to forgive. He said, whoever sins you forgive are forgiven. Whoever sins you retain, they retain. Power to forgive. If God can forgive us, if he can forgive you all the awful things that you've done and I've done, then we can forgive others. Amen. Matthew chapter 6, verse 14. If you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Verse 15. But if you do not forgive others their sins. You see it? Amen. Yeah. Well, I, I, I don't know if I agree with that. Agree with it or not, it's the word. I don't like that any more than you do. But it's the word. And the word says that if we don't forgive, the Heavenly Father can't forgive us. 
Now, let me go back to what I talked about in the night of the resurrection. He said to him, whoever sins you forgive or forgive, and whoever sins or retain, you retain or retain. We always thought he meant that the other person sins or retained. He said, if you forgive sins, they're forgiven. You're released. If you don't, they're retained. By who? See, now, the church that you and I, many of us came out of, made a whole doctrine out of that. That, okay, well, we have the power to release people from sins. No, no, it's that you get released from the unforgiveness that you, when you forgive. And if you don't release the unforgiveness, whose sins are retained? Yours. The sin of what? The sin of unforgiveness. You catch it? I know. I don't expect you to jump up and down and run around the room. The fact is that forgiveness is for you and for me. If you harbor unforgiveness and you're holding on to bitterness and thinking badly of others, sinning and opening the door for the enemy to get into your life and cause havoc. We suffer when we don't forgive. How how many people do you have in your life that you've held things against? They don't even know that you're holding against them. They're walking around. They're happy. They're nice. They're going out to restaurants. They're going out to eat. They're enjoying that steak. You're trying to eat a bowl of pasta and it's making agita right here because you are bitter. Is that too real? And you're like, I don't say Every time I eat, I get sick. Well, of course. That person that you've been holding, they're having a big tomahawk, ribeye steak, 72 bucks, and they're enjoying every bit of it, the grizzle and everything, and you're living miserable. Why? Because you can't release that. Come on now. That was a good place. Come on, everybody say Amen. Proverbs 24, 29, I'll prove it to you. Do not say I'll do to them as they have done to me. I'll pay them back for what they, have done, what they did. Oh, God. Forgiveness is mainly for your benefit, not for the benefit of the person you're forgiving. As long as you are feeling like a victim and you are carrying a heavy burden, forgiveness allows you to take that and put it down and simply walk away from it free. Free. I believe with all my heart. This is the main reason why the very first thing Jesus said to them, forgive. Forgive. What good is it? What good is it for him to send them out? What good is it for them to have the Holy Ghost? What good is it for them to go and spread the gospel all over Jerusalem, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth? What good is it if they were going to do it in bitterness? What good is it? second thing we've received in our inheritance is the power to bless. You are blessed to be a blessing. Jesus said it is better to give than it is to receive. And since we have been showered with so many blessings, both spiritual and material, we now have an inherited, watch this now, we have now inherited our Father's nature to bless others both spiritually and materially. I'm going to read it again because you weren't paying attention. Since we have been showered with so many blessings, both spiritual and material, we have now inherited our Father's nature to bless others both spiritually and materially. Proverbs 11, verse 25, I'm going to read to you from the message paraphrase. It's not a direct translation, it is a paraphrase. The one who blesses others is abundantly blessed. Those who help others are helped. 
I believe God honors that trait. I really do. Because he is the ultimate blesser. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1. I'm just going to throw these out to you. You think about them. Passion paraphrase. Be imitators of God in everything you do. For then you will represent your father as his beloved sons and daughters. I'm going to say something here, and I'm not saying this intentionally to, to just provoke anybody or to get you aggravated or mad, although I hope it makes you so mad you go home and read your Bible <laughs> so that you can prove me wrong. If you have a miserable, stingy attitude, how in God's name does that represent your Father in heaven? I'm telling you, there are some people that need to repent of their stinginess. They need to repent of just being miserly and miserable. Repent of not being generous. See, the problem is, you think what you have is actually yours. It is nothing that you have that you haven't received. Nothing. You know what it's called in legal terms? When you treat somebody else's stuff as if it's yours? Embezzlement. It's not yours. You just get to play with it. You just get to handle it. It's not yours. You li- are you listening to me? My- this is like, it hurts. Don't say it anymore. It's like throwing water on, on, on the wicked witch. I'm melting. But listen to me, when something hurts that bad that you know is in the word of God, you need to take that seriously. You need to go to God and say, look, I, I got a problem here. I, I, don't like, I don't like being this way, but I know this is how you are, and I, I want to be like you. So, so grace me to change. We're called to be Abraham's Descendants, spiritually speaking. Heirs according to the promise. If there's anything about Abraham, it's his generosity, his hospitality. Three strangers show up on the scene one day. He sees them all the way down the road. He didn't even wait till they get to his house. He runs down the road. Hey, come on, come to my house, come to my house. (laughs) My wife will cook. Come to my house. Calls his servants. Hey, hey, you remember that, 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 that goat or that calf? A calf it was. Today we would say, go get that piece of veal that I've been saving. Cut it nice and thin. Make a whole bunch of scallopini for these friends of ours. And get some milk and go make some yogurt real quick. Get some bread. Bake the bread. Generosity. Now, I know nobody in here is like this, but you go to some people's house, they wouldn't give you a leftover yodel and put it on a table. <laughs> you know how they get when they will, and the chocolate just cracks off. And... <laughs> Don't hoard your inheritance. Your inheritance is still seed. It's seed that needs to be planted in others' lives so that in turn 
can experience the inheritance that's in Christ. Be generous. Well, Pastor, I don't have much. Then be generous with your time. Be generous with your affection. Be generous with your words. Make, make people feel good when they're around you. And you watch how God puts things then in your pocket for you to bless people with. But what's he going to put them in your pocket for if he knows that's where they're going to end up and stay? Oh, that hurt somebody. Finally, we are blessed and we have inherited from our Father in heaven the power to reproduce. Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, and Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, or behold, I am with you always, even to the end of this age. Amen. Amen. All believers in Christ are destined to be disciples of Christ. I'll say that again. All believers in Christ are destined to be disciples of Christ. You were not, when you got born again, you were not a disciple of Christ. When you got born again, you are a believer. You then develop into becoming a disciple. What is a disciple? A disciple is a follower of a teacher. A disciple is a student. Okay? You got born again. You received his spirit. Now, you pursue him. You learn from him. You follow his ways. Are you listening? We have been called to reproduce that life in others. We're not called, listen, we're not called to collect believers as one does trophies, but to birth life of God in others through discipleship. What is that best definition of discipleship? Letting God in you, listen now, rub off on those around you through lovingly demonstrating God to them. Best discipleship. Well, yeah, I got this curriculum. Best discipleship. I got this book. I got this set of, of DVDs. The best discipleship is letting the God that is in you rub off on people. Let it rub off on people. Then you can teach them the word that you know. Then you can pour yourself into another and their life through relationship. Now, I'm done for now. My command to you, and I'm talking to myself as I speak to all of you here, to those that will be listening and watching to this, go live out of the inheritance that Jesus died to release in your life. Go and affect someone else's life. Go and get around people that have never experienced God and let the God in you, let the Jesus in you rub off on them. Let them see you walk in forgiveness. Let them see you bless others. I don't mean brag in front of people, but just let your life be a blessing to people. Don't live like this, holding tightly onto everything that you have. Live like a beneficiary. Live like somebody who inherited billions. Just live like that. Live like that. Amen? Thank you so much for joining us today. We're always encouraged to know God is working through new beginnings to touch lives. So if you have a story to share of how God's working in your life, please let us know. Send us an email at mystory at newbeginningsnj.org. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today.